With that, we start praying, dreaming, talking about a new name. And one day, uh, the same lady, her name's Lisa. She's still on staff at our church in the office. And she she was the same lady who sent me the email about Sinclair. She posts on our Facebook page a quote from A.W. Tozer, famous you know, pastor and uh, author. And it's this quote that you've probably heard before. And it just says, a scared world needs a fearless church. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's featured conversation with Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris Williams is the pastor of Far Hills Church, soon to become Fearless Church, and we're gonna talk all about that today in our conversation. Actually, we're gonna dive into what it means to change culture, to be obedient to God's word over an extended period of time, and, and how to listen to God in a clear and more ever-present kind of way. Chris is leading massive changes in the Centerville-Dayton area, and I think that you are going to love this conversation. And if you do love it, the best compliment that you can give, as always, is to share this podcast with a friend. Maybe somebody who's never heard it before, maybe somebody who's struggling to hear from God or isn't sure what's next for them. Um, Our goal, as always, is to help people reclaim the balance of faith and life. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Chris. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to be here today with uh, a guy that I've known for a couple of months, uh, Pastor Chris. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Now, why don't you give everybody a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. You're a Centerville guy, yep. You're living in Centerville, and you work at... Uh, Far Hills Church, right? Yep, serving as the lead pastor of Far Hills Church, and I've been there just about four years and one month. Four, yeah. So you and I actually came to this area right around the same time frame. I've been here about five years, so I got a little bit of time on you. Yep. Um, how did you end up in beautiful, warm, sunshiny Centerville, Ohio? Tell us that story. That's right. Well, uh, actually, in I was in a church down in Texas as an associate pastor. This was back in, let's see, like. A, 2010 2011 area and i went to a preaching conference and i'm sitting there at the preaching conference a, a preaching conference yeah, to learn how to be a better preacher part of my role there was it was a like preaching? teaching pastor okay yeah. and so uh, i probably taught 15 times on a sunday morning every year like out of the out of the year and so i'm sitting there enjoying life learning and this guy gets up his name's david platt you've probably heard of him before yeah i've never met this dude before he gets up and he starts just preaching God's word. Specifically, he walks us through in about a 45-minute section of all of the book of Romans, asking that famous question like, what happens to the man in Africa that never hears the gospel? All this kind of stuff. I'm minding my own business, listening, taking notes, trying to learn. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, dude, I want you to become a lead pastor. Like, And I want you to mobilize people throughout the world. And I'm like, okay. And so I tried to quench the spirit. That's what I'm really good at. And so I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that. Throughout that year, there were probably two or three times where that very similar circumstances would happen. God, I'm in God's word alone, or I'm hearing something. And it's just that stirring. So I start 2011 basically with a commitment of saying, nope, like I'm not doing this, God. Like I, I'm happy where I'm at, enjoying life, part of a great church. Spent that whole year wrestling with God, which is you know, part of my story, I wrestle with God and like, you know, ultimately he wins. But by the end of that year, I finally say yes. So I figure honestly, January, 2012, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm moving. Like it's going to happen fast. Yeah. Fast forward three plus years later before God, like, you know, opened a door. And so I hear about this church in April of 2015 through an email uh, that they're looking for a lead pastor. I contact the person, start a conversation after a few months. July of 2015, I'm praying and I feel like God said, you know what? You go. You go. You invest four years. Four years of faithfulness will be 40 years of fruitfulness. And I know that sounds crazy. I don't know if that's a bad piece of pizza. Uh-huh. But man, that, that thought entered my mind and I wrote it on my dry erase board in my office at the church. Four years of faithfulness will be 40 years of fruitfulness. I don't know completely what that means even as I sit here with you today. Yeah, because so no you're past the four-year mark now, right? That's right. I just knew I was supposed to be faithful. And if I was faithful to God's word and God's way and just faithful what he called me to do and be. And so I went home that day. My family, we actually all fasted. I've got two sons. Uh, at the time, they were younger, but now obviously I have one son's 20 and in college, the other son's 15 and in high school. Anyway, they fasted and prayed with us that day, and that night we had dinner. That was when we first ate that day, and they all felt like it was the same thing. So I shared with them what I just shared with you about the four years and 40 years, and I was like, here we go. And so I called them and said, I'm in. 
We moved in August of 2015, never lived in Ohio. I'd only been to Cincinnati once in my life, one time way back in high school, but that's it. No Ohio connections at all. So the, from uh, Texas. It's from Texas. That's that's so there's so many questions there in that. The, the first one is 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 I think that there are a lot of people who are listening right now who struggle to hear God's voice. And it sounds like God has spoken to you multiple times in multiple ways. Is this an audible voice? How do you know it's how do you know it's from God and not that piece of pizza? Definitely, definitely. So that's where I think God's word plays in huge. So okay. uh, you know, the Bible's very clear. Do not quench the spirit. And by that, like the reason I say that I'm really good at quenching the spirit is there's these promptings. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I believe it's possible, but I have not. And so for me, it's thoughts and emotions. And so I'm like, all right, I get this thought, like that example. Four years of faithfulness will be 40 years of fruitfulness. And I know my own personality well enough to know kind of discerning, like that's not something I would just come up with. So then I test it against scripture. Okay, does that seem like something God would say? Now that's a very specific example, you know, of like a, a sentence that faithfulness obviously is is highly regarded in God's word, you know, and right. fruitfulness ties with faithfulness. And so was that God? Even today, I'd say, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm 100% sure that was God. All I know is that thought ultimately led me to sit here, even with you here today. Wow. Like I'm the lead pastor at Far Hills Church right now because that thought was put in my mind. I definitely believe it was God. But even if you were to sit here and say, no, it wasn't God, I would still say what well, accomplished God's will to ultimately get me up here in the position that he's had me. And I also kind of gauge too the faith thing. Like my wife would tell you, she knows oftentimes God's voice because which one is going to require faith? Not mm. what she can do or has done, but what only he can do. And so when it's faith, for me, it brings about a lot of fear because I'm like, dude, I can't be a lead pastor. Like, I, and I've shared this with the church. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. All I get, can do is get up in the morning, pray fervently all throughout the day, study God's word, and just try to be obedient. And then we'll see what happens. And I really like that, honestly, because I don't want to do something that in the end of my life, I look back and say, yeah, I did that. I want to be part of something that's like, dude, like God did that. God I don't know how to explain did, yeah, it. God like did the all Bible, of that. Like right. Moses couldn't take credit for when the Red Sea parted, right? It's like, dude, yeah, he held up the staff or whatever. That's about it. And it was God. So, so let me ask you this, because I, I think that you key into something here. It says requires faith. Yeah. Um, when you tell the story about it took three years mm -hmm. for God to answer that call, um. I hear what you're saying, and while we're sitting here in my very comfortable office, that makes a lot of sense to me, and it seems super easy. But I have to imagine, in the three years of waiting, it didn't feel that comfortable. Nope. It was a lot of frustration. I, I mean, how do you not lose your faith when it seems like God's not responding? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the this may sound like a weird comparison, but what I connected with was people that were walking through being single with a strong desire to get married. They're oh. like, dude, I long to get married. Like, I want to get married. And these are both guys and girls that are friends in my life, some of which are now married today, but some which aren't. And it's like a year goes by, two years goes by. And it's not like you're just sitting there. You're trying to actively pursue God. And, and you're going on dates or whatever. Or in this case, I was talking to other churches. I think there was probably maybe 10 to 15 different churches we talked to some extended and said we call it you know uh, uh, extending a call or whatever where they're like well we believe you're the guy and i'm like let me pray about this let me and then god was like nope that's not it and so there were those and there were others that was like no we don't believe you're the guy and so along that three year three and a half year journey there's some yeses and no's some letdowns and some moments where i was like all right god it's been the end of this year if it doesn't happen by the end of this year then i'm done and then the holy spirit would convict me and say, yeah, who whose decision is that? Are you making these deals? My oldest son, for example, he started high school during that three and a half year period. And I was like, all right, as soon as he starts high school, I'm no, because who wants to move while their kid's in high school? Not nobody does. Exactly. And then about a year into that, God was like, uh, yeah, you, that's, that's you. That's you that's making that decision. You got to trust me. And in fact, the story is we moved here as he started his junior year, which I don't advise, but, but God was faithful. I mean, he loves the Lord. He's down studying to be a worship leader in Nashville right now and and it's been a journey but like I think faithfulness we're just trying to be faithful so one of the things that we always try to talk about here is is practical like faith right yeah. and so when you talk about faithfulness and sitting in that kind of 
uh, quagmire of ambiguity, like you're just sitting there waiting. Um, is there anything that you could tell somebody to do that would help them wait better? I, I don't even know. I don't know if there's a way to wait wait better because you know I you know me a little bit. I'm not the type of person that likes to wait. I'm aggressive. Some people are passive aggressive. I'm aggressive aggressive. Uh, what do you do when God says wait, but you don't want to? Yeah. So here's something I learned during that period and have tried to do even to this day, like be faithful to today's calling. In other words, be faithful right where you are because there's stuff God wants you to do today that may seem many, menial. <laughs> it may not be seemingly huge, but then at the same time, I would keep a journal and I would say be faithful to tomorrow's vision. So today's calling, tomorrow's vision. So I'm like being faithful. I was an associate pastor. I still had awesome pastoral counseling moments, had opportunities to preach and teach God's word, had opportunities to develop leaders, disciple people, like be faithful, like faithful, 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 right where you're at. Like it's like the college student that's anticipating graduation, right? And if you're a sophomore in college, man, that graduation is a long way away. Right. You say, man, when I get out, then I'll blank. That's a dangerous place to be. No, today, be faithful, but dream about tomorrow. Those big dreams, man, like whether it's marriage or like I was writing down some words and phrases and things that were coming to my mind that I thought were spirit led that were like, dude, you know, like the word multiplication, right? That just kept coming in my life. And I'm like, man, I'm seeing this, you know, and, and even though it, no one else knows this, I'm writing this down and dreaming about it. And even today, it's cool to kind of look back at those journals from like 2014, 2013 and be like, dude, here it is, 2019, 16, or I'm sorry, six years later. And some of this stuff is beginning to form, you know, it like it's real now. That's incredible. <laughs> it is. And it's grown my faith. And so it's like, I, I've told people like you have like almost a, this sounds bad saying it this way, but almost two scriptures because you have the Holy scripture with God, God has written infallible word of God. But then if you'll keep a journal, you also have kind of your own story of scripture of like God's faithfulness. And mm. so your faith grows not only from his word that is unchanging, but then you look through your circumstances and you're like, dude, this is crazy. So... Do you, do you think, uh, or rather, how long, how often do you go back and revisit those journals from, from that time frame? Yeah, I would say, honestly, only maybe two or three times a year. Uh, I keep a file. I think almost every pastor has one, even if they don't say that. And it's the whole, I should quit file, right? Right. And so <laughs> you need those encouraging moments to remind you of what God had told you. And that can be through the form of a journal. Sometimes it's a form of an encouraging note or something that you're like, okay. Yeah, God God was in this. And just because I'm in that season of, let's call it wilderness or dry, whatever it is, where you're like, I believe God's called me to do this, but here goes another year where I'm not married or another year where I'm not a lead pastor, you know? And so, and I was open and honest. I was in a really healthy situation that I, our whole lead team at our church knew this. And so I didn't share it publicly with the church. Sure. Because uh, I didn't want to maybe forfeit any of the influence that I might have in that season. Yeah, But the lead pastor panic, let me sit with him during everything and I mean the elders of the church knew and and he mentored me into this day Jeremy White is a super friend and just great great man of God he's only a couple years older but man he's definitely a mentor to me without a doubt so um, four years into pastoring uh, as a lead pastor at um, three years of waiting before that what do you know about God today that you didn't know seven years ago it really is that um that, that faith in the waiting, you know, and it's hard. I mean, you, you openly just admitted again, right. like, we want it to happen quick. Uh, you and I, obviously we've talked outside of this context about discipleship and we want it to happen really quick, but things that are meaningful take time. Mm. And I equate, say that again for the people in the back. Yeah. That's things exactly. that are meaningful <laughs> take time. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before and I'll share this. Like discipleship is so much like parenting. Like yeah, your, your kids are awesome. But they're not ready to be on their own right now. But one day, they're going to actually go out on their own. If God wills it, they'll get married and they'll begin to reproduce, right? And it's this legacy. But this, these years, and honestly, it could be two decades, right? That they're in your house, under your care, under your shepherding. Discipleship's the same way. And in that sense, it was like vision at the same way, Habakkuk 2, right? The vision seems slow in coming, but in time, it'll come to pass. Like, And so you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're like, all right, God. But man, it's well worth it. It's worth it. So how, how has it been transitioning to this lead pastor role? What have the four years been like? If you can kind of uh, uh, encapsulate what that experience has been. You're in the, I mean, you're in the pulpit 
45 yeah, times a, a year, yeah. right? And you yeah. went from 15 times a year to, <laughs> to 45 times a year. What, where did, how have you changed? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I wish my wife was here. She could probably say, uh, here's where he's changed. I think one of the biggest things, uh, and I take this back to, I don't know why I remember dates or whatever, but in January of 16, since then, I really feel like I hear God more clearly. Hmm. Like, and this sounds extremely strange. And again, you have full permission to edit this out. No, like, I, I literally I, people have, like strange. I literally have an internal dialogue. Again, it's not audible, but an internal dialogue. And I love my relationship with Christ because I will literally say, Jesus, is that you? And then I feel like he says, and this is like, it's almost like the cartoons. I feel like he says, well, do you think it's me? And then I feel like it's this, there's these like three voices, if you will, the Holy Spirit, my flesh, my flesh is usually very easy to identify. Man, it is the selfish, sinful, it's that part that's still real. That's like, man, I want to do this, or I don't want to do this, or whatever. And then there's kind of this inner conscious, I don't know, where you're like, which one am I going to choose? Which one am I going to choose? And there's times I'm in meetings where I feel the Holy Spirit saying in my heart and my mind, just listen. And you already, you can tell I'm an extremely talkative person. And so I'm like, God, is that you? And that's when I feel like he's saying, of course it's me, because you're not a good listener. Listen. <laughs> like, seriously. And then he'll bring up a scripture in my heart and mind. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And then I'm like, okay, quick to listen. So just listen. And he's like, listen, listen. And even in staff meetings, there's times where I think I know the right decision, and God will say, ask the question, and then I'll answer it in front of you. You don't have to say a word. And so then I get all nervous. I'm like, man, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And then a few minutes later, the team, which is the Holy Spirit working with the team, they answer it way better than I would have. And I'm like, dude, I'm so glad I listened to you. And he's like, yeah, if you'll do that a little bit more, Chris, yeah. like, you'll get to you'll get to hear me and watch me do some amazing things. How often do you call Jesus Christ dude? <laughs> a lot more than probably you want to publicize. Like, <laughs> no, he's I my love best it. friend. No, well, so that's the I idea, don't. right? Yeah. So we, we're called to that relationship, and we should be familiar in that relationship. I, I love the way that you speak about Jesus with familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people that there's a funny story where, cause so I pray a lot when I'm driving and I pray out loud because I have ADD. So I ha- I will, I will drift even when I'm praying out loud. But there's a story one time, this happened when I was in Texas and I was making a turn and this lady cut me off and she's on the phone just yelling at somebody. She clearly was mad and wasn't paying attention. And I start laughing because it was funny. And I literally said, Jesus wasn't that funny. And like my friends have told me before, that's weird that you'd laugh with Jesus. I'm like, I think Jesus thought that was funny. <laughs> like, right. I mean, not that she was angry, but like that like we humans get so mad at stuff, you know, as if we can control it or whatever. And and it's that intimacy that God cr- desires with us. Like Jesus is with us and he walked with the disciples and like now his spirit lives inside of us. So this intimacy is awesome. He's right there with you. If you were, if someone were to like desire that intimacy with Jesus in a different way, um, if there's, a, is there a practical thing that you recommend to people? Like if, and, the, and any of the guys that you're discipling, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but like, it, do you say, hey, w- the word first or prayer first? Like if you could only do one. Wow. That's intense. I would do the word first because you're able to hear his voice and the word should influence how you pray. Right. Yeah, Definitely. Any any scripture that you recommend people start off with? Because you know, I every we're getting ready to head into the new year, and mm-hmm. um, a good portion of the people listening to this may start a Bible study in a year plan. They may read the Bible in a year, and it's it doesn't make it past February because of Leviticus, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, so where, where do you tell people to start when it comes to scripture? Wow, you know, I, a lot of times I answer what I grew up hearing all the time, which is what. See if you know what book of the Bible would you tell people to start. John. That's right. That's right. And John's great. It's what the first the one gospel, we translate. Yeah, the gospel yeah. of John and because and, it's loving and caring and, yep. you know, but well, I know a pastor that always recommends Mark. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Because it's fast. Because yeah. it's fast, right? Like, it, And then and then Proverbs or Psalms, you know, because yep. there's 31 Proverbs and you can do one a day or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. I think the gospels is, I, that's probably what I'd go with first. Well, you just spend some time. And, I just love reading about Jesus. Yeah. That's and, exactly right. Uh, okay, so I digress. But so here's one thing I'll yes, throw out there too. Please. And you can edit this out or whatever. So my friend, his name is Joey White. So this is Jeremy's brother. 
he was people always ask him like so what's the best translation to read and i gotta give him props because his answer is awesome and he probably stole it from somebody <laughs> but he said it's the translation you'll read right so like i have a friend right now that they bring the king james version because they grew up with that i have no problem with king james version at all but she literally has told me i can't understand it and so when you can't understand something it's discouraging to read so I say find a translation, especially in these beginning. Like I have a friend that the message, you know, it's a paraphrase, obviously. Right. And he read through the whole New Testament in the message. And like, dude, that's awesome. Like, and this is a guy that's new to the faith. And he's like, dude, this is crazy. It's like a novel and it's awesome. And so I say read whatever translation because that helps that relational nature of like God's not trying to hide himself from us. Right. I mean, if we seek him with all our heart, we're going to find him and we're going to know him. And so that's like, so find a translation you like and read it. That's bonus. I love it. No, it's, <laughs> you know what? That's a good bonus. And I, I use the YouVersion Bible app yep. most of the time because chances are good I'm not going to lose my phone or forget it somewhere. So that, that Bible app is a, is a really good tool. So whatever it takes to get you in the Word is is exactly what you should be using to that's be in exactly the Word. That's exactly right. So that's good. That's good. So, uh, okay, so you moved to Ohio, home of the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's right. The, the best football team in the nation. I don't know about that. <laughs> Right, because you're an you're an A and M guy, yeah, right? My wife right. and I are both Aggies, Texas Aggies. Oh man, Whoop. I love it! I love it! I love it! Uh, what What is your experience like coming to Ohio and taking over um, leadership roles for this church that has been around for a long time? Like it's 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 a big church. It's well known in the area. It's got history and and. It's probably safe to say a little bit of baggage. Yeah, definitely. Um, tell me about that experience. Tell me about the culture that you walked into. Yeah, I would say, you know, part of our church's story is we went through a pretty major split back in 2006. And I've never been through a church split, so I don't know what it's like. Uh, but I know there are still people, unfortunately, in this community that don't even talk to each other. Wow. Friends that, it's very few. I mean, I would say maybe a dozen. I mean, it's not like some you know, astronomical number, but it's because going through that, you start to take sides. I, again, please know this is respectful, but I've, I've never been through it. So the only thing I can compare it through is a divorce. And so unfortunately my sister went through a divorce, uh, years ago. And I, I know even for our family, there's sides that you take, right. And, uh, you know, you're one side or another, and that's what I think happens in a church split. And so what was really cool is the church went almost three years without a pastor, and then God brought a great guy. His name's Tony Chester. He was the pastor right before me. And I don't know, honestly, I need to make the effort and get in contact with him because he and I have not sat down and talked yet. But he was big time used by God to bring healing to our church. A man that taught God's word, loved people, shepherded well, and it was one of those seasons of waiting. It's like everybody wants to be like, oh, we're all better, but there's hurt. And there's pain, and that's going to take time. And so when I got here, and I'm just going to make up a number, but I feel like we were 90% healed. Like there was 10% every now and then I would say or do something, and it, and it touched a button, and somebody would be like, oh, man, that I'm scared, or that hurt when you said it that way, or that's just like how this happened back in the back, you know. And But most of that, man, now today I'd say we're 98% healed. Like it's only a few people that – you know, and again, they're they're talking from a position of hurt, not trying to like beat up me or the pastor. Yeah, or yeah, that makes that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So, um, how do you assess culture in the workplace? Because I, I, I think that there are a lot of people who are listening who are Christians who are walking into a, a workplace that may not be a church, but it's somewhere, and culture is uh, struggling. It's it's unclear. It's uncertain. How do you bring your faith into culture? Yeah. Uh, specifically in a work environment. Yeah. Man, that's a great question. <laughs> so like some of it is, our, what are your limitations and what you can say? So like all of our missionaries, and I use that word purpose, purposely, that are serving God as public school teachers. Hmm. And you are missionaries. Like if you're a public school teacher or you're in the administration, just know guys like Tony and I, we are praying for you and Amen. thinking about you all the time. You are front line, front line. And I understand the state, the government says you're limited in what you can say. Uh, but I have friends that are in coaching, uh, specifically friends from Texas or whatever, uh, where I agree it's a little more easy in, in the state of Texas, the Bible Belt. But they teach biblical principles and they just don't quote where they got it from. 
Like, sure. what if I told you, hey, man, you know, on this team, what we do is we love one another, period. That's It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Sometimes we're going to feel like we're enemies, but we're going to love one another. Okay, I know where I got that from. A lot of people listening know where I got that from, but I didn't tell you where I got that from. The government can't control that, right? Like, right. this is a principle how we're going to operate as a team. Here's how we operate in our classroom. Like, we're going to be kind to one another. We're going to help one another. Like, we're, you know what I'm saying? We, you can actually teach people the one another's of the New Testament just by saying these are our values in our corporation. So if you're a team lead or a manager at your job, like, you can look and say, hey, what if all of a sudden serving people came above the bottom line, like it, like, and I think there are organizations out there. They're phenomenal in the way that they serve people, and that's a different way to do real estate. That's a different way to do all these different forms of business. And you're actually just applying Christian principles. Now, if you have freedom to sometime push that envelope and maybe say, "Hey, here's why we do it this way," with a person in a, in a relational context, I would say build that relationship. You don't come in like as the <laughs> right. new manager of Coles and say, hey, here at Coles, here's how we're rolling it out, you know. But I think a lot of that is is just watching, like people are watching us. They're seeing how do we submit to authority? Like how do I submit to a boss that I don't agree with, you know? And that that is a powerful testimony. If they see me griping and they see me treating my boss and backbiting and talking bad about him, like then when it comes to time to share or show the gospel, man, they're going to be like, what? Like, you're just like me. Yeah, you have no credibility. You have no credibility. And so we work different. I know we can't do this in our culture, but we ought to be such great employees that like employers, if they could, could say, dude, I need to find me one of them Christians. Because those Christians are going to be high character, high integrity, high work ethic. I mean, they're going to they're gonna work as if they're not working for me. Like, they're going to work to make our whole organization bigger and better and stronger and a better light, even though that may not be what that employer necessarily would use that language, but man, you know. So when you came into Far Hills, is that essentially, was that your plan going in was to to serve everyone in a certain way or how, how did you go in there and infiltrate a, a pretty kind of historic culture in, in the church? Because I mean, we, we all know that church people are uh, sometimes what difficult maybe I don't yeah. think that's an overstatement. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and church hurt is a different kind of hurt, and uh, you know that's what my buddy Pastor Corey says all the time. He goes, church hurt is just different hurt, and so you walk into a church where you're you're now the lead pastor, and Pastor Tony had done a tremendous job of uh, healing the church up to this point. How do you begin to shift the culture from what was to the vision that God gave you? At this point, three years prior. Yep. So here's kind of, uh, I'll go back to part of my story. So that four years of faithfulness, in the midst of that afternoon, it was a Friday afternoon down in Texas. This is way back. I'm going back to 2015 now. I'm praying. And God said, when you go there, I'll give you a one-year vision, a three-year vision, and a 30-year vision. Wow. Again, this you asked me, it wasn't an audible voice. And I just wrote it on that dry erase board. And people laugh when I tell them that because they say, well, one, three, 30. So... What about the 40? And I said, my only assumption today in this demo is that I won't get to see the whole 40. Like, and I don't know what that means. And sure. I'm not worried about it. You know, I'm just like, but I knew during the one year, like we would discover what the three year. And during the three year, we would discover the 30 year. And it was just about being faithful. And so I uh, came up and met with the elders and staff. And so the fall of 2015, came and preached through the book of Ephesians. I thought that was a great way to, to start. We kind of set the tone of like, if you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. And the book of Ephesians is kind of divided that way, identity and then uh, orthopraxy or whatever. We're going to practice this thing. And so did that. And uh, in that time, just getting to know people, spending time with people, talking to them, finding out what's going on. What's, what's our culture as a church? What's the culture around Centerville? What's mm. the Ohio culture? This is brand new. For my wife and I, if I could look back and advise the two of us and our kids, I'd say, hey, just you got to be like a missionary. Like You're going to have to learn this culture. It's different. It's different than Texas. Not better, not worse, just different. Sure. And so that's part of the reality. And we're still learning. Man, I can't sit here and pride and say, man, I understand how Ohio people that were born and raised around this area think. or you know, somebody's What's been, been the most church. different thing about Ohio versus Texas? Yeah. Uh, in Ohio, and uh, this is no offense, but people are a little more standoffish. So not mean, not mean at all. Very friendly, but e- as far as getting involved in each other's lives, it's more, sh- more kind of. Uh, Southern hospitality is a real thing. Yeah, and, and we just the Midwest is a little bit more private. 
That's exactly right. Private is a great word. That Maybe that's a better word to use. And so in order to build friendships, I've had to be the assertive one. And my wife is an introvert, much more quiet than myself. And so she's had to learn and grow. Like, I'm not going to make friends if I don't actually walk up to the person and start the conversation. Whereas in Texas, you go to Walmart, you can't get out in an hour because people are going to strangers are going to talk to you. It's just, it's what you've probably thought. (laughs) I know not all across the state, but especially in country towns, it's that way. So, but uh, anyway, so I come in and uh, we discover kind of, we feel like God wants us to focus that first year on personal and corporate evangelism. Um. So man, our whole goal was to everybody in our church, just invest time in somebody they know that is far from God and do everything we can to help lead them in that relationship. And so I started making some changes and we started making some changes to partner with that effort and so what that meant for us is it made our sunday morning a priority to make it more inviting to the unchurched to our friends that don't have any kind of so even from the particular translation that i used to preach from to everything from the whole welcome experience all that kind of stuff amidst so the changes tied with the vision the vision was to be you know obviously highly evangelistic and, and, and building relationships with the unchurched. So that, that gave us some open doors to change some things a little faster than oh. we might normally do. And then, uh, then come January 2017, I realized part of the reason God brought me here was what you just referred to, was to shift the culture. And I hmm. would say we're in the midst of that. And uh, part of our story is at, at our church, the original vision where we're located was was a come and see. And part of what God stirred in my heart is go and do. And yeah, so, so that's attractional versus missional. Is that the right way to say that's that? exactly right. So attractional church, if I'm understanding it right, is drawing people in to the building. Basically, the building is the attraction. Sunday morning is, a, is like a um, it's an event that people are invited to, whereas a missional church is, hey, um, let me bring you Jesus wherever you are. Yes, sir. Is that, is that accurate? That's exactly right. Okay. Which is a, you said it very simply, but that is not simple to do. That's a, that's a big shift. It's so hard. Because, so, well, because of all your resources, right? You put, you poured so many resources into Sunday morning. And if you're going to shift the vision, you have to shift your resources. That's exactly right. And so with us, we have 40 acres of land, a huge 100,000 square foot building, uh, when I got here, we were spending 45%, sometimes more, of our monthly budget just paying to stay in that building. Principal, interest, uh, operations of that building. So it was eating our lunch. I mean, that's a high percentage for any business out there. I mean, that's that's tough. And so yet you're spending that much money on a building that's primarily empty. When you really start putting pen to paper, how many hours in any given church is it empty? So God did some crazy stuff, and we ended up in a situation where Sinclair Community College bought everything, all of our land. Yeah, yeah. so, okay, so every pastor that's listening to this is going, <laughs> how do I get this to happen to me, right? Like, because cause there are so many good ministries that are saddled by overhead, right? They're just, they're crushed by overhead. How, how, how do you get to a place, the two questions I have, how do you get to a place where somebody will buy your building? Two, how do you get your church to buy into that? Yeah. The first one, honestly, man, you're going to have to get somebody else because it was a miracle. Like, we, I remember it was the night we were getting ready to go to my oldest son's high school graduation. Everybody's upstairs in my house getting ready. I'm checking a few emails, and I get an email from one of our administrative assistants that says, so-and-so, I can't even remember their name, from Sinclair Community College wants to come by and look at the building to possibly lease some space. That was not abnormal for us. So I said, sure, no problem. A week later, I noticed the president of Sinclair is with that person. And our executive pastor, is named Andy Hahn, he's given him a tour. And at the end, I introduced myself. And uh, I think his last name's Johnson. I'm sorry, President Johnson, whatever. He says, uh, our goal as a university or as a college is to have a site somewhere within a mile of here uh, within the next few years. And so he said, you know, we'll let you know if we're interested. A week later, they call us and say, hey, we would like to buy your land, facility, and everything. And uh, we're like, okay, what does that mean? And they throw out a price tag that's about $1 million over appraised value. And I say that to say that's crazy. I mean, I'm not hiding any part of the story. That's exactly how it happened. So our next reaction, I spoke on behalf of the entire church in that phone conversation, and I'm like, 
we'll get back with you. Like, yeah, we want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if somebody walked into my house and offered, I mean, that's some crazy. So, because we were about three and a half million dollars in debt at this point. And so when they're offering overpraised value, we could be out of debt and have some money to go build something, renovate something, do whatever. And so we met with the elders uh, and the staff. And now, when you say the elders, there, there's some people who won't know what that means, yep. but the elders are like your board. That's exactly right. Your board. And how many people are on your board? So right now we have six elders, counting myself. Six elders. You're an elder, and then there's five others. That's right. And then you guys make big vision decisions for the church. That's correct. And so uh, they're your bosses? Yep, that's right. That's okay. right. And so we, I would say you're exactly right. Big vision, overall direction, whereas the staff is more of the daily operations and, and like kind of the... Uh, practical application of if the elders say, hey, we got to do some work in these areas, then they figure out like how to get it done, if you would. So anyway, we spent about six weeks praying and talking about it. And then we just came before the church and I was just real honest and transparent. I said, here's what's going on. And this is what we believe God wants us to do. And here's why. And so I spent Was about, there weeping and gnashing of teeth? No, it was amazing. Like, I, it, again, this is just how God was working. And at that time, the way our church was uh, governed as far as our bylaws, we had to vote. And we had to get a 75% vote. So the elders were like, okay, good luck selling this idea. And good I was luck. like, well, I'm just going to be open and honest. And so I just said, this is why we believe it's right. Like we want to be, you know, when Jesus said a city on the hill, remember, he said, you're going to be known by, by your works, your good works. That's being the city on the hill. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, we oftentimes think, well, it's the building, right? But he says, no, let your good works uh, shine before men so that they'll bring glory to the Father. And so we were limited in what good things we could do in and through our community because all the generosity, everything our people were, were giving faithfully was going towards a building. And so ultimately God worked it out. We did a vote three weeks later and over 95% of the church said, let's go. And we didn't know where we we're going to go. <laughs> we had negotiated with... You sold your building without a place to live. That's right. That's we had negotiated awesome. with Sinclair to, by the time we were we would close, we would enter into a two-year lease. And so we did that. And so instantly, by the time we closed, we sold everything, paid off our debt, put that money in the bank to earn some interest, and we're frantically looking for where it would be. Since then, what's been kind of cool is the relationship with Sinclair, and they're just a community college here locally. They are uh, not affiliated with a denomination or religion they're just a state school and they've been awesome like they have helped us we have helped them we partner like we do like simple things like trunk or treater or whatever together like it's been a really cool relationship and we are our building has two floors we're upstairs and so our offices are up there we have that and then they're all downstairs so right now there's students over there and and they make fresh coffee and they let us have it as a staff and it's fun it's like a been a cool relationship but we're getting near the end of that lease that that'll end uh in april of next year and in the meantime god provided an, a car dealership right down the road less than a mile that we purchased paid cash for and we're in the renovation process and right now we're on pace to be 100 percent debt free and so with that that birthed kind of the bigger vision the 30-year thing which is I remember in July of 2017 just praying, and I felt like God was said, you know, to much who's been given, much more will be required. Like, your church is going to get a fresh start. Wow. And so you're accountable for that. So in some ways, that weight scared me. And so I'm praying and dreaming, and, and one day Ephesians 3.20 came to my heart, to him who is able to do infinitely more than all that we can ask or imagine. So God just scolded me in my own soul. Again, this wasn't out loud, but he's like, you're dreaming too small. Start dreaming big. And that was, a, that was a growth area for me because when you're not the lead pastor, you are submitting to the vision of the lead pastor in the direction. But when you're the lead pastor, even our elders would say this, like we're looking into you, like we're going to refine it. We're going to anchor it. Like, yeah, we're going to make sure you're not it's crazy. It's not a green light. Right, yeah. yeah. But like we're asking you to spend hours upon hours fasting, pray, study God's word, dream big, come to us and let us be part of the process of together we'll refine it. But but. We don't want a whiteboard. We want you to, that's part of the responsibility they've given me. And that's a new area of growth for me. So we start dreaming. And, and one day I feel like God said, you're here to relaunch this church. Yeah. So so let's talk about that kind of first abstractly. Yep. What does relaunch mean? To anybody who didn't, I mean, I, I know what relaunch means, obviously, because I live in this church world. Um, but what does relaunch mean in a church setting? Yeah, that's perfect. So for us... 
what because that your exact question was what the elders obviously being responsible for the care and oversight of our church that was their exact thing what does that mean you know we're not going to tell you whether we're for it or against it but we're making some strange faces right now because <laughs> you seem excited we seem nervous yeah. and so to just kind of funnel it down like for us that means a new vision new identity new location like a new church and so we're taking who we are and we're stepping into the next chapter in the amazing, like our church in this April will celebrate 85 years. And in 85 years, God has moved our church around the community. We have had new identities, new visions. And so even as I shared that with the church in less than a month ago, I shared it and that was the context. I said, we believe God's entering us into a new chapter. And so in that is a new vision, new location. I mean, the new location is well known now and new identity. And so... Through that process, what I did was spent all of 2018 with the elders and staff and saying, okay, what is going to be our new culture? What are those things that we're going to hold on to, our values that are the non-negotiable and not being ashamed of being who God's called us to be? Like when, when Paul says we become all things to all people so that by all means some might be saved, I think he's talking to all of us together. Yeah. Like Restoration Church, praise God, you guys are reaching and connecting with people that we never will and vice versa. And every church in our community, we need multiple churches with multiple identities and cultures to mm-hmm. be able to reach all people. I mean, that's just the reality. And so together we become all things, but one church isn't all things to all people. And so we had to own the fact that we're going to be okay with saying, nope, here's going to be our lane. Do, do you think, because um, I, as I look at this kind of uh, from big picture, big tent, do you think that you could have gotten to this relaunch without the one year and the three year? I don't think so. Like I didn't come up with that intention. That's what's crazy. I mean, you didn't come up here and say, man, Far Hills, I don't really, not feeling that name. I'm going to change it, right? But no, it was more of a year one is evangelism, right? Year one, personal and corporate evangelism. And then the three-year vision was one word. It was go. Go. We're going to go put our faith in action. And so that was more about, and it was part of me learning the culture. So at our our church, we, we did... This is where you can edit or whatever with your own wisdom. But like we we did what was safe. And what was safe at our church is to gather in groups of, of, of people and study. Study, study, study. I've never been in such a highly intellectual community in my life. Uh-huh. And you can edit all this if you feel like I, no, I'm going to get myself in great. trouble. great. And so I love studying the Bible. Part of that is holy and righteous pure. Part of it is selfish. I'm scared. A Bible study makes me learn more. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love on, is hard preach. to do. And so our weakness as a church, and I noticed that probably 18 months in, maybe less, was we were strong on Bible knowledge, but weak on love. Mm. Loving each other, loving the lost, loving our community. And so I knew for us, we didn't need more Bible knowledge. What we needed is more go. We need to get out there. And it was a frustration. Like some of the phrases I would say is we're going to go to grow. So our discipleship model was go. Like we're going to go. We're going to put people in positions that they may not be ready for. And we're going <laughs> to we're gonna go. We're going to get out there. We're going to go on any mission trip that came on the table. Like we were like, if it's local, global, we hosted nonprofits. We still do to this day. Almost every week we have a nonprofit. This week will be Ronald McDonald House. And some of them are tied with the gospel. Some of them are just nonprofits that try to get our people opportunities to go serve. Get out there. Go out there and serve. Go put your faith in action. And I knew during that three years we'd spend time with the Lord. Like, God, okay, now you'll birth the bigger vision. And so uh, so God's been faithful to do that. And I think, honestly, that Sinclair move that God did, giving us a new start. I mean, we literally are going to be in a new location, in a location that doesn't look anything. We're leaving 40 acres to have seven acres. We're leaving a building that's 100,000 square foot to a building of 40,000 square feet. We're build, leaving from, a, you know, $12 million facility or whatever, like all this, you know, this nice place to a building that's five years older and just an old dealer. And we need that because we need to get back down to just the simple gospel, the simple, you know, not a lot of fluff and stuff. And like you use the word missional, like missional. And so it's not that we're not going to be loving or attractional people, but we're going to try to keep it yeah, you're still gonna operate pretty with, simple. You're yeah. still going to operate with excellence. Yeah, that's exactly I, it's right. It's one of the things that frustrates me is that you can be missional and still be excellent. That's right. Like you can be missional and not, and still make sure that you give everything that you got to your Sunday morning experience or your Bible study or your disciple making vision or all, like you could, like 
Mis- missional does not mean half-hearted. Yep. You can be excellent and be missional. So, okay, so everybody's on pins and needles. What's the new name of, of the this, this fresh expression of a new community? That's right. Are, are, yeah. are you saying... Are, we, this... we use the term new chapter. Okay, new chapter. So what's new the... Chapter. I mean, come on, fill me in. Yeah. So the quote... I, can I tell the story? Yeah, please. The the, yeah. Uh, so People want to hear the story. We... At one point, we had a big discussion, and this has been about two years ago, and it's like, okay, if we're going to step into this new chapter, new vision, new location, all this kind of stuff, should we change our name? And as you referenced before, our name has been the same since 1963. So our church started in 1935, had multiple names, but since 1963, we've been known as Far Hills. It was originally, I guess, Far Hills Baptist Church, but uh, it was because we were on a road called Far Hills here in our local area. We are no longer on Far Hills, hasn't been, haven't been on Far Hills in almost 20 years. So. Right, long time. <laughs> but we had that um, brand, if you will. Yeah, you had rep. a reputation, yeah. right? So yeah. it was tied. And you guys birthed some churches out of there, right? right. Like some big churches. That's exactly right. And so uh, prior to the split, you know, there was a lot of positive thing. But we had talked about some of the view of the way the community saw that, some positive, some negative, just because of stuff that had gone on uh, through the split. And so we ultimately decided a name change needed to occur so that for our people, not so much for the community, but for mm. our people, they would realize this is a new chapter. It's not negating anything God's done in the previous chapters in the life of our church. Like, praise God. He's done so much. Like, I think so many times we get excited about the fresh new vision that we forget, man, praise God for what you've done 10, 10 years ago, right? And so... So we want to we want to be honoring of those that have come before us that have served so well, but we felt like a new name would help our people. And so, with that, we start praying, dreaming, talking about a new name. And one day, uh, the same lady, her name's Lisa. She's still on staff at our church in the office, and she she was the same lady who sent me the email about Sinclair. She posts on our Facebook page a quote from A. W. Tozer, famous you know pastor and uh, author. And it's this quote that you've probably heard before, and it just says, a scared world needs a fearless church. So I see that on our church's uh, Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, that seems more true than ever before. Two weeks pass by, and Matt Missler, who is our uh, creative arts uh, pastor, and so he leads worship and teaches and does all kinds of amazing stuff. But he is in a meeting, just he and I were planning for Sunday service, and he says, hey, man, I got an idea for a church name. And I said, what? And he said, well, uh, I saw this quote on our Facebook page, and then he says, what do you think about the name Fearless Church? And, of course, my first reaction was like, wait a second, like we're told— the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Like fear is can be a healthy thing. It can it can rescue us, you know, like when we turn to the Lord. But then the more I start thinking about it and the more he and I talk about it, the more I dive into scripture. Like if you if you analyze what Jesus said just in the gospels about fear, you could sum it up real simple, right? Like don't fear. So we spent honestly it almost a year praying and thinking about the pros and cons of it, but we decided, you know what? We're going with it. And so we announced it about two, three weeks ago that we're going to, when we move, we're going to become Fearless Church. So that's going to be our name. And so that's. Okay. So um, from one pastor to another, who's also dealt with name changes. Yeah. Because, you know, many of you know, we were Centerville United Methodist. And then we we rebranded and and kind of launched a fresh expression of Restoration Church. Uh, How many, how painful was it for you? It went a lot better than I thought. Uh, we, uh, Your church actually inspired us because you guys, it was August, I think, 12th of last year. Mm-hmm. Like We were watching close because that was a big move for you guys. I mean, Restoration Church is a very different name. Like Far Hills Church and Fearless Church, I'm not saying they're not different. But sure. you guys dropped a denominational name. Like that's a big— We did a lot. That's a big, big deal. So you inspired us. And like I'll tell everybody, Tony and I didn't know each other at that time. So I'm watching from a distance, an outsider, watching what the community is thinking, like hearing what people are saying. Uh, and it inspired us. We thought, man, if you guys can do it. Uh, what we did is I uh, I did it in the form of a story and just kind of shared how we have, uh, we as a church, we've had five names in 85 years. And so here's what we're going to do. And then I'm going to give props again to Matt Missler. He's my buddy, but he's a creative arts pastor. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to make it a way that people can slowly accept it. So we printed off t-shirts. We got different shirts with the name on it. We did that right away. And I actually was against that, but after a lot of discussion, we thought that was a good idea. And so the very next week we had t-shirts available that people could grab. And so what it's done for us, and we're only a few weeks into this thing, and in no way am I communicating that everybody loves it or, or whatever. Uh, but um, 
people are able to wear the shirts. And so what that communicates for somebody who's kind of against it is looking around the room and saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm must be in the minority because these people are starting to wear these shirts. Yeah, well, rally. And so in rally. a way, yeah, yeah it's a, a way, rally. That's how it's kind of worked. So, you know, but it, the concern I had is it is a kind of a polarizing name. It's either, you know, best case, it's kind of, yeah, that's a weird name, uh, you know, or either like people are like, you know, some people hear it and they get fired up. Like I, God protected me and I use that very purposely that first week. I got nothing but emails from people in our church that were like, dude, this is it. This is so awesome. And I feel like God's challenging me to be fearless in my faith. And I've been backing down at work and I need to do this. And I didn't get any negative until a weekend. And then the negative I got was very respectful, honoring, and just like the same concerns we had, you know, you don't want to have an air, arrogant name, you know, or something. It's for us, it's aspirational. We want to be so strong in our faith that in a lot of ways we're fearless as we pursue our mission. Like it's not an, believe me, it's not an arrogance. It's a, it's an aspirational value that we do. Do you think you'll put the Tozer quote up all over the wall? Yes, sir. I, I, man, I just, that's a quote. It just resonates with, if yep. you're, uh, <laughs> if you're somebody who loves Jesus and wants the world to love Jesus, it's hard not to just feel like that will set your hair on fire. That's right. But so that's not the only thing you're doing to change culture because you've really worked hard at, at uh, this vision of disciple making. W- what does that look like in your church currently? I mean, because I, I would say that you've laid the groundwork now for the last several years for this relaunch, uh, this new chapter, you know, um, what does disciple making look like in your church? Yeah. So let me let me go back real quick, and I'm going to answer that one in just a second. I'm going to throw this out there just in case you want to say yeah. it so or want to use it. So part of like as our discovering our vision, do you, are you familiar with Will Mancini? Have you ever heard that name? Yes. But so I'm, he wrote a book called Church Unique. Got so it. So real quick, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, he I'll also wrote a book called God Dreams. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So as I'm searching out in this three-year period, God's vision God allows me to meet that guy at Exponential. I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard of that conference or yeah, not. Yeah, it's a big church planting conference. Great church planting conference. So if you've never been a part of it, I think it's exponential.org or something like that. You can Google it. But anyway, uh, met him briefly. We're talking like a five-minute, and I believe kind of a God-ordained conversation. And he was like, hey, I run this company called Oxano. I Our role is to help churches discover their unique identity and what's God's vision. And so at that time, we hadn't sold a building yet, so we're you know we don't have we're not flush with resources. We can't bring in an outside consultant. And remember, this is all new to me. I'm a lead pastor for the first time trying to figure this out. So I order the books because it's cheap. Read through them, and then I use those as a guide to develop what I believe was our vision frame, is what he calls it. And so it has the five parts, you know, your mission, your your values, all that kind of stuff. So that was really important. And like that's the thing I'm going to be sharing with our church on October 6th, the one I'm trying to get you to. Give me <laughs> right. Child care. Child care so that'll be the first time to kind of share. So that involves really the truly kind of the new start. It's like, man, this is going to be our new identity. And that was a way not only to discover God's vision, but then also to communicate it. So like a really easy way to be able to communicate that. So that's a good resource out there. Church Unique. Church Will Unique Mancini. by Will Mancini. We'll yeah. link to it in the show notes. Especially for guys like me that are still learning how to discover God's vision and communicate it. And again, that's a growth area for me that I'm still trying to grow in. And But it's important in this season in the life of our church to clearly communicate you know, what we're going to be. But back to the question you asked. So sorry, that's for you or you can use it or whatever. <laughs> I love it all. It's all staying in. <laughs> that's right. So uh, the... Uh, Discipleship. The question you asked me about how discipleship looks, uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot. You're good, dude. You're good. Hey, listen, people are running and they're (laughs) mowing their grass and they're driving in their car and they want to hear this. Okay. All right. So uh, my discipleship story, I have to, I always include things in stories because it's, it's just personal. So I grew up in church, was part of all the church programs, all the activities. My family was one of those families that the doors were open. We were there. And so I end up in seminary down in Fort Worth, and uh, I'm 30 years old, going through seminary, serving as an associate pastor at the church I just mentioned. Uh, And a guy walks up to me and he says, hey, man, have you ever been discipled? Without a thought, I answered quick. I said, no. So again, context, like I'm 30 years old, like I'm heavily involved in church. I'm an associate pastor at a church. Like, and yet- You've been through seminary. I did all this stuff they told me to do. Right. Yet my first response was, no, I've never been discipled. You didn't even have to think about it. Didn't even have to think about it. 
He then asked a follow-up question. Have you ever discipled anybody? Same thing, without a, without a thought. I said, no. And that began my discipleship journey of like, wait a second. I thought discipleship was information-based, like classes. You know, you do this 12-week class and then being your disciple. And so I, I began a slow journey to eventually fast forward almost 10 years later till in April 2017, I started uh, what's my very first discipleship group. And so what that basically is, it's a small group of people, three to five people, same gender that uh, you meet together. And your goal is honestly, like we say it this way, we're going to learn to be disciples who make disciples. And I was just transparent with those guys. And these guys were all in my church. So I told them, I said, dude, I don't know how to be a disciple who makes disciples. I was just real with them. I said, how about you guys? They all confess the same thing. We're all followers of Jesus, but we don't know how to be disciples that make disciples. Why is the same gender important? Uh, because there's an element of accountability in there. And so like we want the, to be able to be open, honest, transparent, vulnerable, and accountable. And so like some of that, especially with guys, it involves like sexual sin. Plus you're getting to know each other and press each other in a pretty difficult way. And so my concern on that, and that was just something I stole from somebody else, was just that there might be some relationship that could build that would be too strong. Yeah, and too, too much unhealthy. intimacy, right, yeah. Because yeah. you're talking about, again, groups of three to five people, and so and you're talking about real-life stuff. And so anyway, what we did was we agreed, we committed a year together, the four of us guys, and we would meet for an hour and a half to two hours once a week, and we were trying to memorize Scripture. We were trying to learn basic Christian doctrine. We were trying to learn and practice basic spiritual disciplines. We were trying to make sure we were in God's Word regularly, four to five times a week so that we're hearing from God and then accountability holding each other accountable to actually live out our faith and do what the Bible says and at the end of that we said all right let's all go find two or three more and so uh, unfortunately two of those guys ended up moving away because of job related stuff one of them was Air Force and the other guy had a unique opportunity also out in Washington DC and so the two of us guys we started our next round of groups and so we've been doing that this is our we're in our third year and so we have eight groups with about 35 guys in them we have one group uh that has uh uh women and so that group was getting ready to multiply and coming in the new year it's a slow go but we're just discipling life on life relationship on relationship the idea is that these groups have to be intentional and and reproducible if not like They'll just want to stay together for a long time because so many of us are isolated. We don't have any friends. And so now we find our first group and we don't want to leave this. We don't want to go reproduce that. And so do do you see this as part of the 30 year vision? Definitely. Definitely. The way I share it, I try to use numbers to it in the multiplication uh, idea. And I brought me a piece of paper. So I'm not this isn't from memory. But I'm going to tell Tony what I tell the guys when I meet with them. I'm like, what if like, what if next year as we relaunch, as we become Fearless Church, what if we had 100 people make a commitment? And they said, man, I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples. And they start these discipleship groups. And let's just say they become groups of four. By 2021, that'd be 400 people in a group. And you start doing the math. By 2025, it'd be over 100,000 people. And then I tell guys, I'm like, so let's say it's not very effective. Say 90% of the people are like, dude, I'm too busy. This don't work, blah, blah, blah. So 100,000, 90% drop out, that's 10,000 people. Right. So it keeps going. Let's go 2026, that'd be 40,000 people. 2030, 10 million. And people laugh. They're like, Chris, you're, you know. But again, remember back in that conversation, I told you, God was like, you're not dreaming big enough. Like you're dreaming too small, Chris. And I read that number, 10 million. I know people right now, they're like, whatever. Here's another guy that's just insane. Anyway, let's say 90% of those drop out. Like if this is only 10% effective, in 2030, we could have a million people living in the greater Dayton area, which is way bigger than our current population, that are disciples who make disciples. So as a local pastor, here's what I would say. If you ask me how we're going to change the city, how we're going to fight the drug epidemic, how we're going to fight poverty, we're going to fight hunger, all these things that are just hard in our area and hard in our country and our state, my answer is not as flashy. It is disciples who make disciples. And when I throw a number down like a million, like I'm a guy that actually believes that and I'm okay with me being the only one around. No way, dude. I'm in it. I love this so much. This is what we're same thing we're doing in our church. I just think it's the right answer. It fires me up in a way that I can hardly even describe. Yeah. And so to build off of that, like I'm meeting people like you. Random, we have a mutual friend who was part of my discipleship group who is now currently leading his own discipleship group who connected me with Tony and said, hey, you guys Yeah, at talk the gym of all yeah, places, right? All places. Like at the gym of all places. Yeah. He owns the gym in Centerville, Club 51, if you should go there, if you don't. It's That's a great exactly gym. exactly right. 
and my and Mike is uh, we I saw a transformation in him, and and it's because he started to be a disciple who could make disciples. That's exactly right. And Tony's introduced me to other guys. Like there's a movement around our country. Yeah, and it's a, it's hard because it's not flashy. Again, like Thursday morning at 5 a.m. this coming Thursday, I'll be meeting with four guys in a real estate office for an hour and a half. And so it's not flashy. Nobody's coming to interview me or whatever. I mean, Tony, obviously, let me talk to him. But like, but this is how it's going to happen. Like, this yeah. is the movement of God. It started with like, what, 11 guys by the time Judas, right? And right. it's this movement of life on life, people risking it, and it multiplies. And uh, for the very first command in scripture, the very first command, you probably remember this, God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, be fruitful and multiply. That is a command to physically multiply and subdue the earth. Before Jesus leaves, what does he say? He says, go make disciples of all nations. That's the spiritual equivalent. You physically multiply, and I think that's a blessing, and it's a work of God, and you spiritually multiply, and then we what? Subdue the earth. And this gospel will go out to all the nations as a testimony of the world, and then the end will come. And so like we we got 7 billion people that desperately need to be disciples who make disciples. We're way behind the eight ball, so that's what I'm going to spend my life doing. Fearless Church is about initiating a mighty multiplication movement of God where we become disciples who make disciples, working together to be a church who starts churches. That's what we're going to do. That's the big 30-year Come on. Drop. Let's pass the plate. <laughs> Let's go. So exactly. I love it, like, dude. You, you, I love it. Every one of us can do it. You don't have to be a seminary person. Uh, my son, who's in high school, he'll be starting his first discipleship group in January or February. He's already praying about it. And so like, we've been doing it as a family. And so it's just being faithful to that simple thing. Whew. Okay, and, so here's a question I always love to ask all my guests, right, is, is yep. we uh, – because I, I can't think of a better note to land on. Okay. You know what I mean? So like as we kind of close, wrap this conversation up, what uh, if you think back to um, to the day that you decided that you were going to be a pastor, lead, associate, student, whatever, however it started for you, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Mm. Wow. I'll be honest, and this sounds like, especially if 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 this is being in order chronologically to what I just said, I wish I could go back 20 years ago and say to that guy in that dorm room that finally just said yes. Like my yes was just simply that. I didn't even know what I was saying yes to. Dude. <laughs> it was like I ended up changing my major in college, all that kind of stuff. But I would say <laughs> this discipleship thing. Right. I know it sounds like I'm like trying to sell something. I'm not. I don't have get any royalties or anything from it. Like, imagine what if I, like, I wish I'm, I'm class of 2000. That's when I graduated college, and I, and I'm about to celebrate 20 years out of college. I thought, what if I was sitting across from you right now, and I said, Tony, I've been doing this for 20 years. Because right now I'm sitting in a position of complete ignorance. I'll totally admit that. Like everything I shared with you is only three years of learning, and most of it I can share more what not to do than what to do as far as being a disciple who makes disciples, man, I wish I had 20 years of experience because I think at that point, and again, start doing the math. What if those guys made disciples? Like I'm going to spend the rest of my life, like if I get fired tomorrow, like I'm just going to be a disciple who makes disciples, What whatever my job is. Like if you're at a real estate office or you're working at a gas station right now, it's simple. And you just find a couple of people and do the best to replicate and make it reproducible what God's taught you about how to follow Jesus and then let's let's multiply this thing and man I just I wish I would have kept it simple because I was always trying to think you know something crazy or flashy it's so easy to think flashy yeah it's so easy and we reward flashy it is we reward it okay so uh, if my listeners want to f- stay in touch with you learn what's happening at fearless church, uh, if they want to be a part of the the revival, the disciple making revival, what's the best way for them to to follow what God's doing in you and through you? Yeah. So right now, like our uh, our website for Fearless Church is just befearless.org, and right now it's very simple. And so we'll be adding throughout the fall as we get closer to the launch. Uh, we are right now on schedule to be able to. We tell people we we should be celebrating Easter next year as Fearless Church. 
That's about all we know as of today because obviously we're limited by some of uh, we've decided to actually uh, relaunch the day we you know kind of move into the facility. So right now we're in a season of preparation. And so so a lot of what's going on in our church right now is still farhills.org or like farhills on our Facebook, that kind of stuff is where we're uh, Now are you doing any writing personally or anything like that or anywhere that you blog or podcast or any of that kind of stuff? But Tony's been we, trying to we, Hey, me. listen, we got to get it, man. You got <laughs> you got a message that the world needs to hear so they can connect with you from befearless.org That's or right. Farhills yeah, far, far as well. Yeah, both okay, of those. Great. Yeah, yep. And, and are, are you? Are you guys are all on Instagram and Facebook? Yeah, and through through Far Hills right now. Got and it. Fearless, we're building that. So. Building that. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Oh, Chris, I for, I can't thank you enough for uh, for reaching out and 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 connecting through Mike and and how that works. And I, I just value friendship and what what God's doing in you and definitely and in our community too. I love. I love that there are so many churches in Centerville, Ohio that are so focused on disciple making. And definitely, um, I think God is going to do amazing things. So I'm going to ask all my listeners to pray for Fearless Church in Centerville, Ohio. Pray for them as God is doing something new there. And it's a, it's a scary time. But on the other side of that is a fearless church. I love it. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pastor Chris. I love the way he talked about transitioning from uh, understanding where God was calling him to, to being obedient learner in this season of waiting. So important for so many of us. How do we wait well? Such a, a good, insightful conversation. Appreciate Pastor Chris's wisdom. And I would encourage you to go follow Chris on all the social media channels. Let him know how much you appreciated him being on the podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to share it with a friend, family member, maybe somebody who feels like they're in a spiritual rut. And I can't wait to share next week's conversation with you as we continue to try to do our very best to provide great content as we reclaim the balance of faith and life.